we offer education on budgeting, financial safety, financial safety planning, credit repair, and different ways that folks can really help themselves to become self-supporting. Some clients have been in high school who are still in abusive relationships. Financial abuse occurs 99% of the time in domestic abuse cases. I've also worked with young adults that left an abusive relationship. Um, they're, again, dealing with the effects of it. An abusive partner doesn't show up as an abusive person. Trauma really affects an individual's ability to be focused on self. There's so much pain there. I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and actual survivors themselves. I'll be speaking with Denise Venuto of Laurel House, the domestic violence agency in Philadelphia. Denise's experiences, both personal and professional, led her to obtain her Master of Science degree in clinical counseling psychology from Chestnut Hill College in Philadelphia. Her interests were trauma studies, 12-step recovery, family systems, and yoga therapy healing. In 2018, Denise began a clinical internship with Laurel House. Then she continued working with them as an individual, a group, and a financial counselor. She has offered group counseling for adults ages 18 to 24 who have been affected by intimate partner violence. Denise is running a new program at Laurel House called the Economic Justice and Empowerment Program. It will empower survivors in financial safety and career matters. Denise, welcome to the When Dating Hurts podcast. Thank you, Bill, so much for inviting me to speak with you. So you began at Laurel House years ago. What were some of your earliest memories from those formative days? Even before considering Laurel House, I felt almost guided, like it was a calling. I had a long list of internship sites, and for some reason, out of, say, three pages, maybe 75 listings, this was the only one that stood out. I had an old friend, neighbor, who worked with Laurel House, and she had spoke of Laurel House really highly. And when I even started, the manager of Nicole's Place, which is a, a branch um, advocacy center um, of Laurel House, I knew her. I didn't know it when I signed on, but I knew her. Um, she wound up being one of my yoga students in a prenatal yoga class years previous. Good. Everything was pointing to Laurel House. That's great. Everything was pointing there. Absolutely. And one of my earliest memories that hit me, that really just kind of hit the the nail on the head and, and really touched me was walking into Nicole's place for the first time, the location named after Nicole Peppelman. I'm in her memory from friends and loved ones who helped open up the advocacy center and in a place where we didn't have that kind of support. When I walked into the building, you just felt her her there. Um, there were pictures um, and I was just really filled up. It was um, very impactful. Um, I didn't know I would feel that way. It was just really, it was really important um, work. And I felt like, wow, I'm, I'm here to help people. I'm here in her memory and so many people before me and, and, you know, that were hurt from this horrible tragedy. The support that I got from supervisors and colleagues 
Um, that was amazing when first starting. I was so incredibly nervous, right? I, I was just learning, I'm a new counselor. The trauma training was extensive, so that was really helpful. Um, but the, the most important thing to just starting out was the supervisor support and colleague support. Um, when first starting in those formative days, the, the memory of my first intake appointment with a client, um, survivor, um, we weren't allowed to do intakes at first, you know, as interns um, by ourselves. It was a really tough session, and I was so glad for this extra support in the session with me. Hearing this young girl, um, I would say she was in her early 20s, hearing what she went through, I just was brought to tears, quite honestly. And I was glad there was another counselor there, just having it be my first my first appointment with a with a client. So that was just really um something I remember. Yeah, that's that's gotta be very hard when it's one of the early intake sessions. You put yourself in that world, you hear that world, and, and it's gotta be hard in the beginning not to do that. Because if you become part of the story, it's hard to then help somebody because you're kind of in, you're you're kind of in an emotional trauma place yourself, right? Absolutely. And it's probably something it takes time to learn. That as much as you empathize, you can't kind of jump in the pool with. Absolutely, them. Bill. Okay. It does take some practice, and again, really great supervision to be able to talk with a supervisor and and really learn the skills to to be able to hold that space for someone who's going through what they're going through. That's got to take some practice and like you say it's good to have people around who have been there and can can tell you some of the things you have to work on, you know, to get to get that little bit of space so you can you can be helpful and not just part of their story. So you've worked as uh, an individual and as a group counselor at different times and how do you for instance decide if somebody would be better off working with them on an individual basis versus they maybe should be in a group? I mean, wh where do you think they should start? Or is that based upon the person? We do start people off with individual services. And that really helps us to really gauge where they're at and work with them individually, um, first and foremost, um, to get um, some grounding, um, give them tools, um, and really see where they're at in their process. Um, some folks come in and and maybe they have just left an abusive relationship. Perhaps they're still living in one. And, and sometimes I've worked with clients, survivors who are processing um, what it's like to be a loved one of someone who's been in an abusive relationship. Um, I've also worked with clients, yeah, yeah, who have um, parents that are abusive toward one another. And they have been impacted. Yeah, just to see where they're at in their process. And then uh, once we we really know or I know um, where they're at, then I can decide if they're ready for a group session or a group, um, a group and a counseling program. When you talk about giving them some tools, what kind of tools would they be? I would say tools to really help them with trauma response. Uh, so trauma response often shows up in a way of um, living in the past or the future, right? Your mind racing, um, depression, anxiety, really giving them tools to ground them in the present moment. There's a lot of um, work that we do with clients on breath work, different visualizations. There's a, a great exercise called the five senses that brings them into the present moment. And really it's a matter of like noticing the awareness of what they're the education of like, oh, I am having a flashback. 
right? The awareness of that. The breathing part of it, I find always very interesting. I, I know from from giving speeches and and honestly, even doing podcasts sometimes that I build up some nervousness before kind of a public speaking situation. And I was very fortunate to read something probably 20 years ago about breathing techniques and taking in air and holding it for a period of time, letting it out slowly and doing this a number of times. And you might feel like you're hyperventilating, but you do feel like the stress level drops quite a lot. And it's it's very, very helpful. I imagine that's close to what you probably, I would imagine, part of what you tell them. Yes. Be mindful of the breath. That is what brings us into the present moment and, and the quality of it. Because when we're anxious, we breathe shallow and quick. So there isn't an awareness of that breath even. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which then tends to make things worse. Absolutely. Right. It probably takes a nervous person or anxious person and makes them more anxious and they're gasping at some point and, and bringing them into the present's a good idea because they're, they're probably reacting to something that happened to them. And you're trying to say, in a way, it happened to you, but at the moment, right this moment, it's not happening to you. Correct. And, and they're currently safe safe here. Yes. Like creating a safe space for them is just that. Right. So you've also worked as a financial counselor at Laura House. What kinds of relief can you bring to clients in need of financial help? Yeah, this is a new program and a new initiative that Laurel House is uh, embarking on. We're so excited. Um, At first, um, we actually received a grant from PCADV uh, during the pandemic. And, And actually, if I back it up a little bit, we were investigating creating a program before the pandemic and we were teaming up with a jevs jewish education vocation and vocational services which is um, in philadelphia um, an amazing organization that does focus on career support um, a lot of resources um, they've been doing this for a really long time so we linked up with jevs um, to see if we could find grant money to create something for our, our survivors, our clients. And, P- and and the pandemic really put a hold on all of that, right? We were we were pretty overwhelmed with the influx of calls that we were getting during the pandemic. And of course, we were moving to this virtual platform. So that put a pause on everything. Um, there was a couple colleagues and I that um, really were passionate about creating something though. And, and we were linked up and looking at all state um, insurance. They have a program called the Purple Purse. And um, it just so happened that during the pandemic, we received this grant and PCADV and um, the National Network to End Domestic Violence, along with all state, oh, had this great. program that we didn't really know we could tap oh, into great. at the time. Um, but they reached out to us, gave us a grant, and the initial, um, the initial objective and mission of the grant was to educate a few advocates like myself to um, work with survivors to offer financial education. And we weren't really supposed to get the program started right away, um, but we were supposed to set up really the framework of what it would look like. Um, but I work really well with a couple colleagues and we we pushed out a, a group the first within the first couple of months. And just, I think because we were so passionate about it and the group is a five week series or uh, five weeks um, where we offer education on budgeting, um, financial safety, financial safety planning. We, um, 
we actually have now brought in outside community resources and educators to come in and talk about credit repair um, and different ways that folks can um, really help themselves to become self-supporting. Um, so, you know, initially it was about, um, you know, offering these education resources to folks. And um, the second part of the grant, which we now received in terms of resources to offer folks is some money to help with uh, career um, and and technology, maybe like a computer if someone doesn't wow, have it. Wow, that's fabulous stuff. Wow. Um, and also um, funds to... Wow. Yeah, and funds to help people if they need to leave an abusive relationship and maybe first in last month's rent, um, something for transition housing um, financially, um, which is really important. Um, financial abuse occurs 99% of the time in domestic abuse cases. Yeah, I'm sure. That, it's a yes, common tactic yes. used by abusers. Yeah, I can, I, can, I can picture that being used as a weapon against people. You know, take their money away. You know, take take as much power Absolutely. away as possible from people, and then you've got them where you want them. So, but that's great. I like the way that you started out with the educational piece, and then you moved into the actual, I mean, like real help, you know, real money, real real things, and then you've gotten you've gotten other parts of the community to come in and and kind of do this with you. Because I must believe in what Laurel House is doing with this for them to dive in with you and do all of this. That's great. So you recently implemented a program called the Economic Justice and Empowerment Program. Absolutely. And it will empower survivors in financial safety and career matters. So you want to give us a little bit about that too. Is that part of the same thing we just spoke about? PCADV initiative for economic justice and empowerment started in 2012. And the initiative is a statewide coordinated effort. It's giving support to 59 community-based domestic violence advocacy centers in the state. This is what we are working to implement in Laurel House. Um, the primary goal of the initiative is to improve social conditions that prevent independence and also give folks safety. This is through the training of the advocates and then also the, the resources that we're offering clients. So Laurel House is one of those 59 domestic violence agencies that received the grant. We offer group support. And like I said, it's a five week series. Um, and then we also offer individual support for clients. And this really helps them to learn what are the red flags of financial abuse. And again, just like individual emotional support to deal with the effects of abuse, this is something that offers um, education um, and again, we're like, okay, is this person ready for this kind of group counseling or do they still need individual support, right? So discerning if they're right for the program. Anyone can do it, though, that is within the agency umbrella. We define what economic justice is as well for folks and really help them along whatever place they are. Are they in an abusive relationship and need to prepare to leave? Have they left? and they're still picking up the pieces. And maybe it's just someone who has left a, a, an abusive relationship and they are grounded and they're, they're doing really well, but they wanna learn how to self-support, right? They wanna learn new tools, more tools. I love the fact that it's such a realistic approach to where it is because people are always in different places along the spectrum and there isn't one shoe fits all kind of a thing. And 
So that that's great. I did not realize that had been around so long. And tell us who PCA DV is. I I have I know I've seen it, and I think the P's Pennsylvania. It's Pennsylvania Coalition Against Domestic Violence. It is a state program that is is um off of the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. So we have the the National Coalition, and then each state has a coalition. Yes, the NCADV. I've talked with them. Yeah, that's a powerful organization. Everybody really looks up to them. Absolutely. So, Denise, stereotypically, but not necessarily accurately, we tend to think of domestic violence as abuse between married men and women, people who are in their 20s and beyond, and it's kind of this cliche, stereotypical thing. I'd like you to talk about abusive relationships between young adults ages 18 to 24. Some people call it intimate partner violence or dating violence, but the point is that these are unmarried people. I know that's a focus for you. I have worked with a number of young adults um, in that age group of 18 to 24 and a range of different situations. Some clients that I've worked with have been in high school who are still in abusive relationships and perhaps an incident has occurred and their parents are bringing them and encouraging them. And, and maybe they got wind of, of Laurel House. That is a place to help. I've also worked with young adults that left an abusive relationship. Um, they're, again, dealing with the effects of it and all different situations, really horrible stories of physical abuse, almost, you know, almost death. And then things where little things have happened, and fortunately, a loved one was like, no, this isn't okay. And, and intervention was, was able to be put in place. Mm. And, you know, some, some um, young adults have come in and, and talked with us and then maybe weren't ready to, to really receive the support and, and haven't come back and maybe have gone back to abusive relationships even too. So there's some of that in cases. And and one other thing too is I'm working with young adults who have lived in family systems where there's domestic violence and they're coming in for support to really help process that. Maybe there's a divorce and, and there had been abuse between the, the parents and um, things are fortunately like doing okay, um, they're safe, but they still are confused and maybe need some education and support. Because of COVID last year, freshman students didn't physically attend in person. They also weren't there to attend any instruction about dating violence and what can happen, what does happen. A new crop of students will be entering college this fall. Students who have not received much, if any, instruction about dating violence and sexual assault. So this year, more than half of all college students will be attending in person for the very first time. You can see the danger. You can see the need for education about dating violence. Think about When Dating Hurts, available on Amazon. I've talked with people when I've talked about dating violence, and they say, well, you know, I mean, I mean, how, could, how bad could it be? I mean, these people aren't married. They haven't known each other terribly long. And you and I know that, that there are striking similarities between people who could be in their teens and have a relationship, and then people beyond that could be all the same kind of dynamics. So what are some of the similarities? Well, I would say that there are striking and definite similarities. And oftentimes if we're talking about, say, a married couple, 
nine times out of 10, that same dynamic existed for one of the people in a, in a previous even high school relationship. And maybe there just wasn't awareness of it and what it looked like. And if we're talking about power and control, there's a power and control wheel of the different tactics that an abusive partner will use in keeping control, intimidation, um, verbal um, abuse, verbal threats, sexual abuse, all of these things exist in a, in a relationship 18 to 24. They're just as, as um, abu- it's the same thing. It's just a younger, a younger person. They're just, they're just younger. Same, same tactics. Would you say that you have often seen that there are people who just somehow seem to wind up in one abusive relationship after another? I mean, they don't really seek this out, of course but they just seem to somehow get caught up in these. They'll they'll go through one. They'll somehow get loose. They'll get free. Time passes. They find someone else. And before you know it, it has striking, again, similarities to to other relationships they've been. They're almost like serial abused people. Unfortunately, that is the case. And, And sometimes a survivor will wind up leaving one relationship to go to another relationship maybe there's someone that's like saving them even from the other relationship in a way. I guess some of the qualities maybe or things that make someone vulnerable um, to be in an abusive relationship, you know, oftentimes like someone that's very empathic and caring, um, someone that maybe needs to learn about boundaries a little bit more. But the, the tough part is with these relationships too is an abusive partner doesn't show up as an abusive person. Mm-hmm, that's right. They would never get into a, a relationship, right? They show up usually charming. There are tactics that are used on the, you know, abusive partners side where they are, they're really good at what they do. Yeah. They know how to draw someone in. Absolutely. And and even the, the family members, they could have everybody fooled. Like, look at this amazing person. Wow. You're so lucky to be with that person, which also sets the, the, the victim up even more. Like, oh, I can't go to this so-and-so person because they think my boyfriend or partner is amazing. They yeah, won't that, believe Yeah, that me. is part of spinning the web, isn't it? Is that they become very good at being charming to many and including the person they're going to abuse eventually. So often I've heard people say that if this person, the abusive person, had been anything like this on the first date, as they eventually were on the 10th or 15th date or 30th date, I wouldn't have... It wouldn't have been a relationship, but they know how to kind of bring the candy and the flowers in the beginning. And then you see the real person, unfortunately, when they've pretty much got you caught in the web. Absolutely. Yeah, I I share this with clients, too, is there is a feeling like uh, it's a good it's a good situation. And the abuser turns the temperature up really slowly. And it's so slow, the dial turns, you know, just a little bit at a time until a year or two down the road, you don't know you're in a pot of boiling water, essentially. Exactly. That's always a great analogy for that. I like that so much. So you offer group counseling within this 18 to 24 range. range. So what kind of things are covered in those groups? The group oftentimes runs itself, which is so wonderful to watch how survivors support one another. They teach each other techniques that work for them. But we do cover education. Oftentimes there's a theme um, that, that I'll bring to session. And then 
and and touch base with whoever's attending and see how that theme bounces off of them and, and what they have to say about it. What would be a good example of a theme? A theme would be self-care. And what would be a good example of self-care? Well, self-care can range anywhere from setting healthy boundaries to sleep, healthy eating, right? There's so many different ways to take care of oneself. Um, I do like to bring in a self-care wheel. So there's a Olga Healthcare brings, there's a a self, an actual self-care wheel that has different, like a, a pie, right? Different parts of the pie and every area of life, spiritual, emotional, personal, career, sexual, emotional, and then gives ideas or examples of self-care in each part of the the wheel. I'll sometimes bring that up in session and have people look at the wheel and get ideas and see what, what really speaks to them. That gives them something to take away too and really have a plan of what can I do to take care of myself. Do you think that, that one of the reasons self-care is presented as a theme is because people who are abused spend so much time trying to make the world right for the abuser? And therefore, they themselves become just so secondary. Is that is that part of the thinking behind bringing self-care to the front? You got that right, Bill. And in fact, trauma does that to an individual where trauma really affects an individual's ability to be focused on self. There's so much pain there and they want to thwart any further pain. So they want to make sure that their environment, like looking outward, is okay. And that could mean that everything's okay for the abusive partner. And if we're talking about outside of the 18 to 24 range, you know, a married couple would be like, I need to make sure dinner's on the table, that the house is perfect or whatever it may be that was good for the abuser. Um, And that could be the same for 18 to 24, right? You're taking care of the other person, making sure that you're dressed properly. It gets down to that, right? I'm saying the right thing. I'm making sure you're doing what the other partner wants. So you're planning everything and there's all different ways. The people that you see, whether they are in individual counseling or group counseling, how much of the counseling that they're getting, do they let their abuser know they're getting? I mean, is is it like they just keep it? That's their secret. I mean, that that other person thinks they're shopping or I don't know what. I mean, do, do they disguise it or do they? I mean, I can't imagine telling someone who's abusing me. Well, I'm going to go to my, uh, I'm going to go to my counseling session at Laurel House now, and uh, and we're going to talk about you. Every situation is different, but it is important to really make sure that it's safe for the client to be in counseling. Um, I do have clients that will show up in their car, right, and they do have to make sure that who the abusive partner is not around while they're in session. And oftentimes they are hiding it, right? So we we need to really have that individual counseling session to determine what level of safety they need, where they are at. Do they live with an abusive partner? If so, we're not going to be sending Laurel House materials to the house or emails. And really that comes down to also technology, right? Technology and bringing it back to the 18 to 24 age range is that technology is a big part of abuse and and a tactic that nowadays you know i'm a bit older so i've had to learn really about technology and like how technology is used right because that wasn't a part of my growing up you know these these handheld computers that folks have 
they can really they can really um see what they're doing on their on their phones. So we have to be really careful. Yeah, we we encourage them to be very careful so that I'm sorry, but I can't imagine how you communicate then, you know, to say the uh the session at two o'clock on Tuesday has been canceled because, 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 I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess a lot of it's just phone calls and then going back into your phone history and taking it out. I would think. One of the most important parts of safety planning with a client is to make sure that they're on lockdown with their phones. Um, even like leaving material out, if they get a brochure from um, Laurel house, you know, even about counseling, they'll need to hide it or not even bring it in the house. I'll say, please don't bring this in the house if you know that so-and-so is going to be there and find this. You really have to lead another life as far as the abuser is concerned or you're going to pay for it, right? Somehow. The retaliation is, is a big deal. And if an abusive partner does find out that their boyfriend, girlfriend is receiving services, they may then start to turn it around on the victim and say, no, you're the abusive partner. And so it's really important to protect them. There is retaliation that can happen. You have to be so careful and be so safe. So you sometimes guide clients healing using a strength-based holistic approach. Could you tell us a little bit about that? What we do right at Laurel House is we offer an empowerment model of healing and really helping the client be in the driver's seat of their healing. So they're, they're, right, they're driving the bus. They go as fast or as slow as they need to. And, you know, I've listened to a number of your other podcasts, which were fantastic and, and recalling, you. you know, we, we don't give people advice and tell them when it's for them to leave an abusive relationship. It's up to them to really come to terms and really trust themselves. Oftentimes they haven't been trusting themselves. They're confused as to what's the right thing to do for themselves because there's a person that's controlling them, controlling them with fear. And so they have disconnected mm -hmm. from themselves so much to stay safe. It's starting to really create this internal safety where they can trust their own instincts. They can trust themselves. And that's the part of the empowerment model. So a strength-based model too is about what are their strengths? And I want to bring it back to the career and the financial aspects of, of what we do to help clients is that you know, when someone um, is in an abusive relationship, their self-esteem is affected. So, and that affects their career and their finances. It affects every part of their life. We try to find where is it they have strengths mm -hmm. and really hone in on that. Mm -hmm. It could be through like a cognitive behavioral therapy, which is really helpful for folks to reframe their self-talk that they have absorbed maybe from an abusive partner to build their emotional self-esteem again to say, hey, you know what? You've been living in an abusive relationship for this amount of time, and, and that tells me how resilient you are. Look how far you've come, and even the courage that it took. Oftentimes, victims of domestic violence have been running all kinds of shows behind the scenes. They've been running the household. They've been doing so much, and when they've been doing mm. so much, um, so we, we try to help reframe things and show them what they are good at. And what they have been doing. When I talk about holistic counseling, it's finding um, support, supportive factors in every area of their life, whether it be spiritual, right? Can they lean on some people in a spiritual way, um, in a spiritual community? 
what kind of things can we we offer in just every area, physical, personal? Where where can we find supportive factors? Where can we find places they can find that framework of support so they can have the strength to leave an abusive relationship if, if that is where they are? It takes a lot of resources to leave. I can't imagine when someone gets so deep into a relationship like that, then trying to leave. And I know a safety plan. I've talked with some other people about safety plans and things like that. And every time I think I have my head wrapped around everything that's necessary, there's all these other parts that that Laurel House and other domestic violence agencies have thought through and make sure everything is all ready to go before somebody ever considers making that last trip out of the house or wherever they're going to. So I have a lot of appreciation for that. Looking at your background, Denise, you hold an experienced Yoga Alliance certificate and a trauma-informed yoga certificate. So please walk us through how you use yoga to promote healing. I think that's extremely interesting. I've never heard about that before this. I actually did my yoga certificate before I became a counselor. It's helped me in my own personal life. And I wanted to bring yoga to the world. That was a thought I had before even becoming a counselor. It's so interesting how all of my worlds are really coming together. Of course, I have this interest. And while doing the counseling, clinical counseling psychology degree, I found myself in an intro to trauma course and read a book by Bessel van der Kolk called The Body Keeps Score. He highlights yoga in the book as a way to promote healing from trauma. And of course, I was all about it. One of the things that I learned in my yoga program is that we hold our issues in the tissues. Yeah, good. Well put. And so trauma lives in the body in a physical way, especially when it's domestic violence. And and so while I was in my clinical counseling degree and taking the Intro to Trauma course, I found a trauma-informed yoga certificate program to jump into. And it was just a perfect place to be while I was in school and learning. It's funny, while I was in that program, they were offering yoga for folks in recovery and yoga for people that were incarcerated to help them find healing. And I raised my hand in the class and said, this would be a really great thing to bring into domestic violence advocacy centers or shelters. I had no idea I would be working at Laurel House at this point. And I found myself bringing yoga into our shelters, um, into group counseling, and then doing another certification on how to integrate yoga in the counseling setting and learning more about how trauma affects the brain. There's no doubt that to me, and even with what I've seen with people, is that yoga really helps with this healing journey. Um, It creates safety. Domestic violence, right, whether it be physical, emotional, sexual abuse, affects the brain, which affects the body. There's this mind-body connection. And yoga helps to reconnect that and actually heal the brain. See, that's the book you need to write. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I can see how that would work because there's no doubt that when you're feeling trauma, you feel it in your mind and you feel it throughout your whole system. And it's like everything either goes to a healthier place or goes to an unhealthy place and things are crashing into each other. And you just feel 100% awful or in your case with your help, get them to feel great as possible, which is, of course, it's a long journey. So Denise, I want to thank you for informing us on several areas not talked about before on our podcast. It's clear that your counseling and such a wide range of topics must make you an incredibly invaluable resource at Laurel House. You know, I think of Laurel House as a comprehensive domestic violence agency. I've known people at Laurel House now for 
for easily 15 years. I admire everybody I've ever met. And listening to you today serves to point out just how far-reaching the counseling can go. So you bring new hope to those dealing with domestic violence as survivors, obviously as friends of survivors and family members of survivors. And I just want to thank you so much for stopping everything you're up to. You're doing so much and to take time and speak with us today. Thank you so much. It's great. Thank you so much for having me, Bill, and for what you're doing in this work and um, for keeping your the memory of your daughter alive. I'm grateful to be a part of it. I appreciate that very much. And we're all in the we're all in this game together. And that to me is personally such a comfort to know people like you. And I every podcast I just have one more person I know I can call upon or can call upon me and we can kind of help each other get through all of this. And there are things maybe that I know that I can share and, and I know you've shared a whole lot today. So you've definitely filled in some spots I didn't even know existed. So thank you so much. I hope to see you and talk with you again soon. Thanks. Same. Thank you, Bill. Because of COVID last year, freshman students didn't physically attend in person. They also weren't there to attend any instruction about dating violence and what can happen, what does happen. A new crop of students will be entering college this fall. Students who have not received much, if any, instruction about dating violence and sexual assault. So this year, more than half of all college students will be attending in person for the very first time. You can see the danger. You can see the need for education about dating violence. Think about when dating hurts and ask someone you care about to listen to this podcast.